You got the call. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to The Call-Up. We are presented by Triple Play Fantasy, and I, I'm just going to get out of the way, I'm not D-Mendy, and I spent that whole intro laughing, and I think Vinny did as well. I'm I'm already already getting ahead of myself here mentioning mentioning you guys, but um, that's right. The time has finally come. D-Mendy is officially a father. He has a cute little girl, if you haven't seen. Um, and, uh, actually I know what I'm going to do. My first order as host, I am unfortunately for you all, the host for the foreseeable future now, uh, maybe forever, basically until I decide, I think I I have full launch, whatever I want to do, but what I will do is my first order as host. I am going to command everyone to pause this video or pause this recording, whether you're listening to it or watching it and go to D Mendy's Twitter and send your congratulations to him. That includes Vinny and Michael. I'm giving you time right now. I'm going to throw it over to Michael. Michael, are you doing this or have you already said your congratulations? I actually didn't hear. I'm not on social media as much as they used to be, but I, I did see it earlier today. Saw that over a thousand people had already liked his tweet about it. And obviously I'm very happy for him, you know, uh, this is our first time doing this uh, show as the trio, you know, really looking forward to it. There's, you know, uh, f- for those who are wondering, we've got some new guests lined up in the coming weeks and I didn't feel like bringing them right into the transition, but I do want to congratulate our buddy D Mendy on the birth of his daughter. You know, he did a really great job hosting the show, made things look easier than they are. And hopefully he can rejoin us down, down the road, but once things slow down. So, but for now, I'm, I'm really happy you're here with us, Josh. How, how's it going, Vinny? It's going good. You know, Mendy's finally a dad. It's, you know, been in, been in the works. We've known for a little bit and it was just a matter of when it was going to happen. And, you know, we got the message on, I think that was, was it Monday? It was either Monday or Tuesday that his wife started having contractions. And then we lost, uh, we lost our host, but yeah, I, I threw him the congratulations the day of, and, you know, just, uh, just good luck for him, man. It's, you know, it's all you can, you all you can hope for. So it sounds like Vinny already sent his congratulations. I'm gonna I'm gonna count Michael's saying it in the podcast form as his congratulations. I think that leaves just me. So uh, congratulations, D Mendy. I uh, I like Michael. My Twitter is exclusively reserved. This isn't like Michael. This is me thing. It's exclusively reserved for Alex Cora complaints. So yes, having a daughter is a big deal, and I congratulate you. But I don't know if I can break my streak of annoying all my followers with my Alex Cora hate. So um, that's a, that's going to be what that's going to be. But we have a show for you. And against all my desires to be drunk with this power that I now have, we're going to stick with our usual format for the show, which means jumping right into our minor league hitters and pitchers of the week. And first up, we're going to go to Vinny here is uh, Lazaro Montez. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Maybe Lazaro Montez. It's L-A-Z-A-R-M-O-N-T-E-S. You can see him on the screen if you are watching now. Um, Since his promotion to high A on August 5th, 
He is slashing 347, 458, 714. You can see his stats on the screen right now. Make sure to be watching on the YouTube. You can see his stats on the screen right now. They're even more ridiculous over the last week. He's got a 22% K rate since uh, being called up. He's totaling a 202 WRC plus. Vinny, the stats are eye-popping, but tell us a little more about Montez. He was an outfielder yeah. for Seattle. Yeah, I actually had to hop on earlier this morning and uh, fix it a little bit because last night he had one hell of a game. He ended up, you know, massive home run, another double, had to raise all the stats. Like, this is an 18-year-old kid. You know, he's been pretty hyped up for a while now. He's one of the bigger names coming out in the uh, J-15 class. You know, the big we knew he was big power, but we just had, you know, we had questions about the hit tool, but Wow, has he really proven – he's proven me wrong for for the most part because I thought he was going to be a big power slugger guy. But now he's he's lacing doubles. You know, he's not a ground ball – you know, it's not a ground ball or homer guy anymore. Like, hard, consistent contact, contact from the left-handed side of the plate. Like, you know, I, I feel like I always say this every five episodes, but it looks like the Mariners have another stud coming up. Like, if it's not Michael Arroyo, if it's not Gabriel Gonzalez, here's another one. If it's not Cole Young, you know, that that minor league system's absolutely loaded, and I cannot believe it's becoming to the point where it's almost just absolutely stunning how good they are at just targeting these players in international free agency and the draft. Like, they do very good with finding talent. And Montes, man, I don't like everyone coming into this year was saying that uh, the Dodgers prospect, Josue De La Paula, was going to be the next Jordan Alvarez. Go watch some video of this kid. Like, it is like copy paste cut Jordan Alvarez down there in Modesto. Like, I, he might right now have a 60 grade hit. Uh, power if you look around at publications i would not rule out he has a 70 grade hit like a 70 grade power like he's still young he's still adding weight to the body he's still adding muscle like this kid's gonna be crazy like i can i definitely see the upside you're down alvarez but i just hope he doesn't fall to the path of like miguel sano and really start selling out the power but from the small sample size I've seen so far, I'm pretty enamored with Lazaro Montas. And I will say he's probably already rostered in most dynasty leagues. I'm not opposed to you trying to go get him. Like if we're talking about a guy that's not on top 100 lists right now, who's going to be getting a lot of hype in the off season. Mazzara, Montes is right there with a handful of names. Like we're talking about, maybe a 55 future value with him. Like he's going to be crazy. There's Dude, limited, limited defense with him. He's going to be a corner outfielder, probably right fielder for the rest of his career. There's nothing really special about that. And there's no speed with him. He's probably going to maybe get 10 stolen bases a year, but that's crazy guys. Did you say 10 stolen bases a year? That's pretty good. That's probably his ceiling. That's his ceiling. Gotcha. Well, he does sound a lot like Jordan Alvarez. You actually took my question right out of my mouth there, Vinny. I was going to mention the comp. Uh, I saw the same stuff on Twitter. You saw I, the tweet is from 
Um, Zach left. If you if you're listening and or watching, you want to look it up yourself. That's Zach with an H, and that's left like the direction. Uh, so Zach left on Twitter, and he showed a side by side of Montez swing with Jordan's. I actually did a little bit of research, and they actually shared a hitting instructor. Um, in the Dominican Republic. I don't believe Montez is Dominican, but I, he must have gone over there for some coaching. And their swing looks oddly similar. So I, it's a crazy it's a crazy thing to say is a potential outcome for a player, especially one who he's not off the radar. Like you said, he, he was a pretty respected player in first-year player drafts, but he's probably not pushing many people's top 10 in the Mariner system. So a comp to Alvarez is pretty crazy, but yeah, yeah I mean, you never know. But let's let's move on to Michael's player here. He, last week, Michael told us about Wyatt Langford and how you can get a one-one talent no matter who falls to you at one-three. Well, this week he's going to tell you about another member of that top three, Dylan Cruz. So, Michael, why don't you tell us a little here about Dylan Cruz? Yeah, so Dylan Cruz, he as you said, he's kind of gotten off to a hot start here. Uh, to his career, albeit in the lower levels of the minors. He had a brief pit stop in the complex league and has since been promoted to low A as an advanced college bat that stood out in the SEC. That's my expectation that someone of this caliber would make easy work of the lower level pitching. So I wouldn't put too much stock into the actual numbers unless he struggles more than expected. But players of this type of pedigree are always going to be under a microscope. Anything less than like a Jackson holiday, like climb through the levels will be met with some level of scrutiny. Cruz is listed on fan graphs with an average hit tool plus game power and plus speed. This seems like a common theme, but I, I find it hard to believe that one of the most productive college players in recent memory is given an average hit tool out of the draft. Granted, he's listed with double plus hit tool on MLB.com, which is very high praise, but I have difficult time trusting that site over the years. Either way, the situation kind of reminds me of Jackson Holiday and his speed grades coming out of the draft last year. Until I have further information to make a more informed decision, I tend to fall in the middle. It's difficult to live up to a 70-grade hit tool, but also seems a bit absurd to suggest this is an average hit tool. So I'm saying it's plus right now. Basically, we're talking about an advanced college bat who profiles as plus across the board. Pretty much everything you'd want from an FYPD pick or, or just a prospect in general. As for how to approach Cruz whenever he becomes available, you know... A lot of it comes down to the particular type of league you play and ultimately where you fall on the spectrum with this hit tool. If you're someone who leans closer to double plus than average, it's difficult to recommend another player over Cruz. But like I said last week, there's a big three here with Cruz, Langford, and Skeens for me. And there will be other players that emerge from this class, but they'll be hard-pressed to surpass these players if they remain healthy. You're basically going to need a top three pick in the upcoming draft to even have a shot at landing Cruz probably more likely one or two since he possesses longer track record to success in college and is more well known to the average fan. I've already seen multiple prospect lists have him inside the top 10, just like Langford last week. And I can't really disagree with that assessment. Most years Cruz would be the clear top pick out of college with a well-rounded skill set for fantasy and easy target. My only hesitation is the organization that drafted him and, you know, the wildly varying reports about his hit tool. The Nationals aren't exactly a hotbed of hitting development. I mean, look at their inability to unlock anything with Robert Hassel. Elijah Green has hit tool issues, and they've done nothing to alleviate those concerns. But I wouldn't argue with anyone who ends up you know, taking the plunge on Cruz. I would be cautious about overvaluing him in startup drafts or trades like most prospects. But otherwise, I see a well-rounded, advanced hitter that should have a long, productive career. 
So you you okay? Do you guys just have access to my pre pre prepared questions here? Because once again, Michael is going right after one of my questions. I asked him it last week. I, I wanted to know his thoughts when he mentioned Wyatt Langford on all three. We just got his his thoughts once again. So I'm going to pivot here, Michael. My my question is. This is me just regurg- not regurgitating, but just what I'm hearing you say when I hear you talk about Wyatt Langford and when I hear you talk about Dylan Cruz, it sounds to me that you actually would prefer Wyatt Langford. I don't know if you're actually there yet in your head, but when you explained both, I, I came away thinking higher of uh, Wyatt Langford than Dylan Cruz. Would you say that your, your head is there with what with your mouth or am I just he- he- mishearing things? I mean, that's a great question. It, it is too early for me, just like it was for Langford, because I haven't really dug into these guys more than the research I do for the show. But it, they're like neck and neck for me. And I can see, like I said last week, I can really see an argument for Langford over Cruz because of the organization. I have so much more trust in the Rangers right now. And so so if you're hesitant at all about the Nationals or Cruz, I'm fine going with Langford over him. Well, uh I uh, have no nowhere near the ability to get one of these top three players, and every time one of you guys talks about him, it just I just get some serious FOMO. I, they they're they're studs. I, I mean, we gotta talk about Skeen soon, guys. Gotta we gotta figure out a way to get him on the rundown. But uh, it is time. Speaking of Skeens, to move to our pitchers of the week, and first up. I think Vinny, I think Vinny here, he's, he's going to admit that D Mendy and I won our, our prospect draft for the trade deadline back here a couple weeks because his first guy is no other than me and D Mendy's uh, last pick in the draft, Nick Nestrini. I'll, I'll take your apologies now, now, Vinny. I, we won the draft, didn't we? No, you didn't win the draft, but Nestrini is really interesting. I did get a chance to watch a couple of his starts with the Dodgers. And then I watched uh, his two starts with the White Sox. And I will say he has made the, the transformation over to the different system very well. Like this last game that uh, this week, man, he went six innings with 10 Ks, one walk, six hits, one earned run. You know, eh, it's okay. He had 10 Ks. That's eye popping. That's crazy. But just watching him pitch, man, there's just something about him. He just has that feel of like a starting pitcher three, maybe starting pitcher, maybe a starting pitcher two. Like he just is very comfortable on the mound and he just, he doesn't get like shaken early. Like he doesn't get behind himself at all. Like the way he commands his arsenal and all of his pitches just, I really, I really think that this time next year, I I want to say that probably Nestrini is up with the White Sox. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's like inside of their top, I don't know, three prospects. Like, I don't think he's getting enough love yet. I know he's been hampered with, you know, extra the, the, the hard contact against him. But we're talking about a guy that has 109 strikeouts and 90 innings. And he's... You know, 42 walks is not ideal either, but he's only had nine home runs up against him. Like, he's been limiting hard contact as we progress through the season. You know, there is questions about, you know, his his control. There there are signs of that. You, If you do watch his starts, you do see him lose pitches very frequently as he gets longer into the game. 
that could end up being a problem. Maybe he's a limited, maybe five inning starter, maybe six. Like maybe he can't go long inning, like long runs. But we're talking about the guy that has four plus pitches. Like his fastball is ungodly. Like it's right up there with Cole, Cole Phillip or uh, Connor Phillips with best fastball in the minors. Like it's electric. It has late life, and no one can touch it. Like it's it's unreal. Curveball is fantastic. I would I would love for him to throw it a little bit more. I feel like he's a little hesitant to throw the curveball in some situations, which okay, it's understandable. So maybe that's something we have to work on with him. Slider looks really nice. Like it's giving me little vibes of uh, uh, Hayden Wesniski from last year. It has that kind of movement to it, and he's really comfortable with it. The changeup. I, I don't know if he just doesn't like throwing the changeup or it's just he doesn't trust it, but very rarely do you see him use the changeup. He usually, if he does use it, it's in to set up his fastball. But, yeah, if we're talking about a starting pitcher who's pretty close to the majors and has, like, the K potential and a, a pretty solid upside, I'm starting to like Nick Nostrini, like, He's probably rostered because he was one of the biggest names traded at the deadline, especially for the White Sox. I don't know personally how much you have to give to get him, but if you can get him on the cheap or if he's still sitting on your your waivers, go pick him up because you know I could see him being a nice like next year ended up being a nice SP four to your roster. And, you know, with the K upside, I don't, you never know. He could take another step forward. Like the 62% left on base pretty much is getting hampered from his time with the White Sox. But we're talking about a guy who had a consistent 73 before that. So, and the, the 11K per nine, I think there's some upside there. Now, Vinny, all, all of what you just said about Nostrini was was great, but I can't help but focus on, you still won't admit we won the draft. I, I have, I mean, Nestrini just talked about him. He's great. Have you seen what Sejaci has been doing with the Cardinals? That is funny you say that. I just had a long conversation with someone about Thomas Sejaci last night and talking how uh, if you look at his stats compared to a, a player later in this episode and Carson Williams, they're pretty alert. similar. Pretty similar, and I would give it the I'd give the edge to Sejaci. Wow. So we won the draft is what I'm hearing. Just say yeah. it. No, <laughs> you won't say it. Well, well, Vinny, how about this then? Instead, I'll, I'll, I'll attack you from a different angle here. This is now your Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. I confirmed before the show. This is now back-to-back weeks that you have picked a pitcher in the White Sox system. Vinny, what, what is up with that? Are, are you really a Cubs fan? What's going on here? I don't know. They just have this little group of interesting arms. You know, Noah Schultz has really taken the – you know, the prospect world by storm, we, we kind of knew that was going to happen this year. But, you know, Nestrini, he was making some noise with the Dodgers. And we've seen the Dodgers' arms have some very good success, even once they leave the organization. So, you know, like I said, Nestrini's a guy to really keep an eye on. Maybe go and throw a little something out there to get him. I, I remember back when when we drafted Nestrini, at least me, I, you guys were not as guilty as me. I threw some shade on the White Sox system, especially with their pitchers. I, I just I just think each of us, maybe we need to go around and, and apologize for, for throwing shade on them. This is now two straight weeks. Vinny makes it sound like they have the best pitching system in, in the league. 
for the record, I drafted Jake Eater in that draft. Another one. Let, let's do it. Let's apologize, each of us. Michael, you go first. No, I'm good. I, <laughs> I, 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 no, I mean, they got to they prove it at the major league level for me. <laughs> yeah, and as a Cubs fan, I will never apologize to the White Sox for anything. So. You guys well, got to um, peace. There we go. As host, I have the power to do things such as this. On behalf of Vinny, even though he's not saying <laughs> on behalf of Vinny and on behalf of Michael and, of course, myself, we as a podcast apologize to the White Sox. We still need to see it. But what we're seeing so far, we like what we see. So we apologize for me only, really, crapping on your, your pitching development. All right, Michael, let's let's move on here to your guy, Jacob Mizorowski. I, if you don't know the name, I don't want to say you've been living under a rock, but he's been making some waves. Maybe just get on Twitter. Maybe you're just not – honestly, don't get on Twitter. Don't get on X, whatever you want to call it. Good for you for not knowing the name. But Jacob Mizorowski of the Brewers – he recently got promoted and coming into this week, what, uh, let's see, he's at double a yes. Coming into this week, he had a seven, eight ERA with a six, five, uh, six FIP in double a, but then on Tuesday, what got him onto this list? He had quite the start. He gave up one hit in six innings with 12 K's. Take that Nick Nestrini, 10 K's. I raise you 12 K's here for Jacob Mizorowski. Michael, why don't you tell us a little more about Jacob Mizorowski of the Brewers? Yeah, this is a player I've wanted to talk about for a while. I had him lined up about three weeks ago, but ended up taking the week off. And I was a guest on the Rotowire prospect pod with James Anderson that week. And I, I was asked to rank my top five healthy pitching prospects that hadn't made their MLB debut. And the purpose of the exercise was to wrap our minds around the fact that it'll be an entirely new crop of pitching prospects at the top of updates. And after diving into a lot of the players, I was surprised to find I had Mizorowski number three behind Skeens and Tink Kents, and I've talked about my love for Tink Kents, so you could even make a case for number two. I just wanted to lay that out there as a foundation because there are some red flags, but the upside here is immense. Mizorowski's listed with a plus fastball, double plus slider, above average curveball with fringe average command. His fastball touches the upper 90s. His upper 80 slider is one of the best sliders in the minors, and his curveball is more than serviceable third offering. All three of his pitchers have ex- pitches have extremely high spin rates, and he should be like a, pay- a baseball savant darling once his data becomes publicly available. He's listed at 6'7", 190, so he's got the frame to add more weight as he matures. He's pretty lanky as it stands, but his unicornish type size like fits in with the rest of his profile. The glaring red flag in his, is his command and control. It's ultimately the reason he slipped to the second round in 2022, though there were, he was a popular target for teams in that range. And the Brewers ended up signing him and giving him more money than their first-round pick, Eric Brown Jr. Uh, there were concerns when he was drafted that he'd, he'd be relegated to the back end of the bullpen because of his command, but there's never been any question about the pure stuff. Considering he's already moved through three levels this season and is quite young for a pitcher at AA, I'm not going to overreact to the elevated walk rate in AA at the stage. I think it's safe to say Mizorowski will never be like a George Kirby type of you know, walk rate, but he's, if he's able to harness it enough to be effective, we could be looking at one of the best pitchers in the majors during his prime. I mean, we've seen what the Brewers have been able to do with someone like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. Like these guys weren't locks to be top end starters coming through the system, but we've also seen what it looks like when the organization moves a starter into the bullpen, like Josh Hader. So like, there's a lot of ways Mizorowski can be, have mainstream fantasy appeal. Bottom line, like you can count on one hand, the number of pitchers in the minors with this type of pure stuff. And, and there are some fantasy managers who won't mess with pitchers unless their commands and pristine, but 
the player who realizes there's an extreme upside factor with Mizrowski understands there's inherent risk with all pitching prospects and wants to take a shot at an ace should be all over him. You know, I, I already see Mizrowski as a top five pitching prospect, certainly top 10. And this is someone I would, I would aggressively target on the pitching side before he debuts, because if it even clicks part of the way, he's not going to be available in the future without unloading a top talent. Now, Michael, I couldn't help but notice we got we got a mention of you about where you have Paul Skeens kind of in your head. Now we definitely need some Paul Skeens analysis on this podcast at some point. We got the other two. You got it. I didn't even I didn't realize you had Skeens that high. I mean that that really is a top three. But anyways, back to back to Mizorowski. I uh, with pitchers. I, you tell me. I'm not I'm not the prospect guy here. Is it foolish for me to see? You know, he's struggling at Double A. Then all of a sudden, it kind of clicks. He has this great start. Twelve strikeouts in six innings, only one hit. I think he still struggled with some command issues. Had a couple walks, but. Is it crazy for me to say, all right, I, something's clicked for him. He solved double A and I can have complete confidence again in his trajectory or is, or am I just way overreacting to this one start? No, I think this is kind of his upside. This is what he does. I'm not saying it's clicked and he's going to be impeccable down the stretch, but this is the level he gets to once he figure out, figures out a level. He's only pitched about 25 innings at three different levels this year. So like we haven't seen a long tracker. He's, he's like you said, he's in his third stop right now. I'm expecting struggles. Last start was actually a great sign for me. I don't think it means there will never be walk issues again or you won't have tr- struggles in AAA or the majors down the road. I'm just I'm just convinced this guy has just some of the filthiest stuff in the minor leagues. And if the command's not a huge issue, he's going to be a problem. He is a problem already because he's not on any of my rosters. That's a problem. I need him. He, he's a stud. I mean, watch, watch, just watch Google a clip of this kid pitching. I think that's really all you need to do. He, he is electric. Look at him in, in the, uh, it's not the all-star. Do they call it the all-star game? Futures the, game. the futures game. Thank you, Vinny. Just look at him in the futures game. And uh, that's all you, that's all you need to know about his upside. And to and add I, in I, on Mazirikowski real quick, like we don't know what the future lies for Corbin Burns. Like, I would not be surprised if we see uh, Mizrakowski get an uh, non-roster invite or even invited to spring train next year. I would not throw it out of the cards if he like breaks camp. Like I know the the Brewers really love him. They love all of the underlying data. They've loved him since junior college. Like they are enamored with him, and he's and we've seen the Brewers do it before with arms be very aggressive and they have early success and then they keep the success going. Like. If we see him have a very good rest of the year in double-A, do not rule out him potentially opening next year with the Brewers. And I would say another maybe more realistic situation is he would break not with the camp with the team, but he would start off in the bullpen with the team as like a multi-inning guy who's just electric and kind of work his way into becoming a full-time starter. You guys got me You guys got me excited for, for, for him, but uh, again, I don't have a problem. But you guys, the people listening, you can correct that right now. You're not in as deep of the league as me, probably. Um, but if you are, I apologize if you don't have them as well. Well, that's half our prospects we got here for you today. But before we continue, of course, we're the call-up podcast. We have to mention the prospects who were called up. Let's talk about some of those uh, notable promotions uh, and this week we have we have some some biggies. I would say let's let's start with with Wade Meckler who who started the year at High A, 
He started at high A. He went to double A, destroyed double A, went to triple A, destroyed triple A. He becomes just the fourth player this year to make it uh, to the big leagues from the 2022 draft class, kind of uh, ascending out of nowhere. Definitely a guy that if you're in a deep league, um, that's a guy that uh, you could have targeted as recently as a few weeks ago, I think, and got him on your squad. That's Wade Meckler. We got the big one this week. Uh, is it the big one? I, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll talk about it. Mason Wynn, he finally gets the call. Uh, we, we mentioned him, I know, a, a few pod podcast back as a guy we thought would get the call call soon and sure enough mason Wynn finally gets a well-deserved call you can find all sorts of dis- discourse about him and if he's legit on twitter lots of talk about his his measly 3.6 percent barrel rate but uh, somehow he still up tore up triple a with a 283 average 17 home runs and 17 stolen bases so I think there, there's reasons to be skeptical but he's this is a guy who's going to get picked up in every single league format unless you're playing in like a four team league, which why are you doing that? But anyways, he, this is a guy who's going to get picked up um, everywhere. So when you do go to look him up, it is important to note his name is Mason with a Y, not no M A S Y N. And it's win, not with a Y, but with an I and two N. So W I N N Mason win of the St. Louis Cardinals. But then this morning we got some big news. <laughs> The Angels, they said, oh, we're no longer the only team that has called someone up from 2022 because Wade Meckler got the call up. Oh, man, another team's getting all the buzz because the Cardinals have called up Mason Wynn. Well, how about this? We're going to call up Nolan Chanuel, who we drafted just this year as our first pick. Hey, rumor has it that Vinny absolutely loved this move. Vinny, I want to I get your thoughts here on Chanuel getting the call up. This is very interesting. Um, uh, Los Angeles Angels, man, you guys got some uh, guys got some some uh, some decision making that needs uh, some fixing over there. Like he's only played 21 games in the majors. Like short sample size, he's been decent. This really this really could tamper and destroy his his just progress. Like you don't call up a kid that's spent less than 30 games in the minors like even if he is a college bat like i'm i don't like this i do not like their uh their i don't know what to say like their uh their philosophy how they attack prospects anymore like I, i'm a personal fan of nelson rada he's a 17 year old high a does that mean we're gonna see him next year at 18 playing left field like it's crazy like what they whatever they're thinking over there man I thought the A's had some problems with player development, but I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Los Angeles wants to throw their name in the hat. It, it's, it, I don't know, Vinny. Maybe it's not a problem. He's such a stud. They're hitting him lead off tonight. You normally see a guy get called up. They throw him into the back of the order where he might see some fastballs. Nah, not with this kid. He's going right to the leadoff spot. Yeah, and I'm completely fine with this blowing up my face, and a week from now he's batting six, 700 with like four bombs. Like that's that's in the cards too. Like if we're talking about out of this draft, he like him, Matt Shaw, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt, um, uh, Wyatt Langford, like those four guys were like the best consistent <clears> professional <throat> hitters <throat> in the draft. Vinny, Vinny, please, you're missing a guy. Oh, I'm sorry. And Kyle Teal. Thank you. Thank we'll you. We'll say Kyle Teal. I'm a big fan of Kyle Teal. But yeah, this is a very interesting move. I this just shows how crazy the prospect promotions are this year and how we 
it's just becoming a toss up to who's going to be called up when and where now. And there's, yeah. there's been rumors of potentially, uh, um, I can't, Jackson Merrill coming up this week. So that's something to look out for. There's buzz around that. So just keep your eyes open. Anyone at any time now. They're, uh, you know, buried in all this today was another kind of crazy move the Angels made. They actually called up Logan Ohapi, pretty much just objectively rushing him back from his rehab assignment. But Ohapi's also back today. He's only hitting fifth, though. So, you know, he's no Shanwell who's who's leading off but we got to move on folks we got four more prospects for you uh but we got two here and what we like to call the prospect watch this is often two uh low minor guys or gals i suppose right now right now guys but you never know eventually um who we uh find ourselves enamored with so i'm gonna go right back to Vinny with interestingly i'm wondering if he's regretting it a los angeles angel Vinny, why don't you tell me about Kevin Castillo, who you told me this week I needed to use my last dollar of fab on in my dynasty league, and I said no. So it, tell me, am I stupid for not picking him up? I, no. I, maybe I foresaw the crazy Angels system blowing up in their face. No, he is the real deal. Let me check on Twitter before I say anything. He might be on his way to L.A. He does have you know enough plate appearances <laughs> in the Dominican Summer League. But no. Like, man, the Angels have been very good the past couple of years with finding these good hit tool speedsters that are very good at, you know, controlling at-bats and have good plate discipline. Like, if we're to compare this, this is almost exact numbers that we saw last year out of Nelson Rada. Nelson Rada's was also, you know, a year and a half younger than him. But, you know, he, 18's a little old for the DSL, but the numbers, the numbers don't lie. Like, we're seeing a guy who's walking more than striking out decent iso i would like to see a little bit more power but you know the frame the 510 frame definitely shows that there's more muscle and more to build into um the really thing that really caught my attention is the 21 stolen bases on an eight speed like if we're to project this out next level majors this could be like a 45 50 stolen base guy like the speed's pretty crazy and then you add the advanced hit tool for the age and the potential of power. Like this could be an, another stud coming up out of this organization. You know, like I said, small sample side is in the DSL. Uh, I know this year they skipped Nelson Rana from the, uh, the Arizona complex league. Maybe we see the same thing with Kevin Castillo next year. He might start in low A inland, but if we're talking about a guy when, you know, the season's over and everyone starts doing their deep dives for stats, like Kevin Castillo is going to be a name that keeps on popping up. Because, man, this 33 RBIs, 21 stolen bases just is really crazy, especially with a 17.4 walk rate and a 15% K rate. And he has a below 40% on ground ball rates too. Like, that Woba's crazy, the WRC+. plus. Like, this is a guy that I think you want to get into very cheap now because maybe around November, even December, like, this is going to be a hot name. So so yes or no, then? Use my last, last dollar of fab on this guy. I would because I wow. guarantee you if you use it and if you're in Dynasty, you might be able to flip this guy a couple months from now for something pretty nice. You know, I do look at him and I see a lot of positives, but it is pretty hard – you mentioned it to get over that negative that he's not in the majors yet. And yeah. if you're not in the majors in the angels system, I think something's wrong with you at this point. So that's yeah. a little concerning. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, ha we'll go to, we'll go to Michael's guy here. Michael, 
I might have to I might have to give you a nickname as the the FYPD guru because you got another first year player here, and that is Enrique Bradfield. He's not quite in that top tier of three people uh, of, of those top three. Excuse me, but. It's not hard to figure out why when you just take a glance at this kid, why he's catching your attention. I mean, you don't even need to go further than the 80 speed grade you will see often uh, given to him. The rich just get richer here. It's it's Baltimore Orioles, Enrique Bradfield Jr. Michael, why don't you tell us again about a first-year player here? Yeah, typically I wouldn't focus on a 21-year-old in low A for the prospect watch, but considering that he's two to three years older than the typical top prospect path, but I'm making an exception since he was just recently signed, like you said, and he should rise through the system relatively quick. We'll, we'll ultimately get a better sense of how good he is once he starts facing more advanced competition next year. I don't want to focus too much on his stats. As as long as college players don't look overmatched in A-ball, I'm, I'm more looking at the player profile and what they could realistically become for fantasy. And I'll, I'll wait to see how they perform in double A before making any like huge assessments. Pulling up his scouting grades, Bradfield is listed with a plus hit tool, below average raw power, and 80 grade speed, as you mentioned. Obviously, the speed output is what really caught my attention. 14 steals and 45 plate appearances is noteworthy, regardless who the competition is. It reminds me of what I saw when I saw Jonathan Classe doing early in his career. I've, I've talked about this before, but I'm enamored with players that, that possess a plus hit tool and game changing speed. I'll essentially accept a zero in power if a player can actually help my batting average and be a difference maker in steals. And that's exactly what I'm looking at here with Bradfield. I mean, this is a very exciting player in my estimation. He's listed at 6'1", 170. He was picked 17th overall in the 2023 draft out of Vanderbilt. Bradfield went a school record 130 of 143 in stolen bases in his college career. Walked more than he struck out all three years. Had a career 311 average with a 426 OBP. Outside of noteworthy power, power, we're talking about a potential game changer in rotor leagues for his ability to swipe bags at high clip. We've seen firsthand this year how, how much steals have come back into the game with the new rules, but the huge stolen base tolls are coming from speed demons like Esteri Ruiz, like a player capable of stealing 40, 50, 60 bags in a season can single-handedly carry your team in a category. As for his long-term dynasty stock, I, I think it's safe to assume Bradfield will be one of my favorite targets in FYPDs this winter. The combination of plus hit tool and 80-grade speed and a college bat being developed in arguably the best developmental system right now, just too much for me to overlook. I do need to see more film, but my first impression couldn't be any more favorable. I'm not exactly sure how the industry values him yet, but I, I can't imagine he remains under the radar if he keeps up stealing bases at this incredible rate. I'd make every effort to get my hands on Bradfield in any league where steals have value. Unless I'm missing something, this will be one of the players I will devise my draft and trade strategy around for FYPDs. I suspect we are looking at an impact leadoff hitter in two years, capable of tilting roto leagues with his speed. And I'd rank him as high as any list you'll find out there, maybe higher. That is, that's some extremely, extremely high praise there for, for Enrique Bradfield Jr. of the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of just blindly taking whoever the Orioles are are taking on my team. But you you mentioned the speed, and I can't help but but think when you play fantasy, one of the big problems you run into with speed guys is they just have this inherent playing time risk because they really just can't do much of anything else. They're kind of just fast, and that's obviously not true for everyone. But that's what makes the rare guys that can do a lot so valuable. 
but you're talking about a guy who who's got a plus hit to hit tool that already sets him apart from a lot of um speed guys but also he's gonna stay on the field he's got a low risk in that regard because he's got i've seen some people give him an 80 grade fielding tool and so th- this guy is uh he's gonna play and i i'm pretty excited about what i just heard you say i'm gonna this is a guy maybe i can target because i'm not gonna be able to get one of those top three guys but maybe this guy that's got me pretty excited here for enrique bradfield jr all right well, we just went over our prospect watch. That means now we got our, our last two players in our last little segment we have here. We are the call-up show, so who's next? Who's next to get that call? We told you about Mason Wynn only a few weeks ago. Can we do it again? Uh, we're going to go to Vinny first here. And Vinny's got an interesting guy because last time we talked, Vinny, this guy was in high A. And now you're telling me he's on the, the watch list to get the call. It's Carson Williams, a shortstop out of the Tampa Bay Rays system. Vinny, is this kid really getting the call? He was just in high A. Well, there is now uh, some uncertainty at the shortstop position in Tampa Bay. So, you know, the corresponding move was Osevis Basabe to the majors and then to jump Carson Williams from high A to triple A. You know, Carson Williams has put up some pretty eye-popping stats if you do deep dives like the 260 average doesn't look that nice but if we're looking at hard consistent content like you know evs stuff like that like he's been spectacular we're talking about a 20 year old with 18 home runs you know 18 home runs 14 stolen bases the k's are k's are very concerning especially for him to jump a whole level with a 30 percent almost a 31 percent k percentage the iso has been crazy the wobe has been okay like we're talking about a pure speed power speed guy here. Um, you know, if we're to, if I were to say, if I were to describe Carson Williams right now, he is four tools out of his five, Like he has the defense down. He has, the, uh, he has the arm. He has the power. He has the speed. He's just missing the ability to, you know, read pitches and to understand how to, you know, be patient at the plate and you know how to control an at-bat. Like, I don't think we ever see him at the major league level bat above 270. I think we're looking at a, like a poor man's version of like a Dansby Swanson as a comp. But, you know, if he unlocks that hit tool, he is going to go nuclear. If he somehow figures it out here in AAA, and he becomes more patient. He cuts that K percentage down, even 5%. We are talking about a superstar type of stud talent at shortstop because I will guarantee he will win gold gloves in his career. That is how good he is defensively. Like, if you look around, you know, pipeline, you know, uh, fan graph, stuff like that, it's a consensus 60, you know, field. Like, he, the, the glove is no problem. It's the ability to limit K's and to walk a little more. Like, I don't know. I I came into the year really sour on Carson Williams. I, I Mike will know this because I we had multiple discussions about him earlier this season. You know, watching games with, you know, watching games of him in low A or in high A this year at Bowling Green, I've really turned my opinion around on him. Like, I've become to the point where, yeah, I can see what he has right now. And if he unlocks this last step, he's going to be a superstar. You know, he's probably 
unbelievably a hot commodity right now in Dynasty. I would stay away, to be honest, especially with the uncertainty that has unfolded. But, you know, maybe this offseason, try to go get him. Like, don't give up the, don't give up a whole lot for him. Like, don't, don't ruin yourself for him. But like, hey, throw a couple offers out there, you know, test the water because he could potentially return dividends. So, so Benny, I can't help you. You did a really good job explaining what we got here with, with Carson Williams. And two things that stood out to me were the, the K rate and the question with the hit tool and his incredible defense. And so I hear that. I see the perhaps the organizational need with the uncertainty you mentioned. If he does get the call up this year or early next year, I can't help but wonder if he's going to be a deep. Well, if it's early next year, I don't have this fear as much. But if it's this year, he, he sounds like a guy is going to be up there maybe for his speed and his defense, but not really for his bat. And so I say that as you've made a great case for him as a long-term fantasy asset. If you're playing a league that's a little more short-term outlook, is this the guy you're avoiding even if he does get the call up? Yeah, I would avoid him. Uh like, I don't, he's interesting because now with what's happened there, he's a very good candidate for maybe being sent to the Arizona fall league this year. Um, so maybe stuff changes. Like there's still a lot of time this season for, you know, the whole entire hit tool concern to kind of fade away. But another thing we've never seen Tampa Bay do, Tampa Bay has never skipped a player a level before, especially this young in like the past 10 years. We have yet to see this. They didn't do it with Manzardo. They didn't do it with, you know, uh, Vidal Brujan, Wander Franco. Like, they've had the absurd talent prospects, and they've yet to do this with them. Like I said, there's something in that, you know, that batted ball data and the deep, deep data that really convinced them that he's ready for AAA. So, you know, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye for the Arizona Fall League. That'll be interesting. Maybe he goes out and plays another position. Maybe he's playing outfield. Maybe he's playing third base. Like, there is endless situations with Carson Williams that I would like to see some answers to before I go all in on him, but he is definitely a guy to watch. Well, we've made it to our last guy. And finally, I am in control. And finally, we are talking about a Red Sox prospect. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you guys the Red Sox I will get used to it. I will be playing this every single time you guys bring up Red Sox. Come on, guys, you gotta dance. They're not dancing. They're not as excited. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's enough of that, but I'm excited. We got a Red Sox here. Uh, maybe I just killed any chance of a Red Sox ever coming back on the show. But if he does, you you will know. Then he's nodding. He's saying, yes, that's it. No Red Sox for me. Um, I, Michael's not, though. My, Michael Michael might bring up more Red Sox. Oh, yeah, he's nodding. He said, okay. Michael likes the song, I think. Uh, no, he stopped nodding. All right. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, I liked it. It was a good uh, unexpected surprise. I like a little music added in. Yeah, and I and uh, YouTube, if you're listening, I own that song. Well, actually, my brother owned it and then gifted it to me for an old podcast I used to do. So no copyrights. I own that song. It is the Red Sox prospect song now. But anyways, let's talk about the greatest outfield prospect to ever grace 
the triple a, <laughs> I can't even say it seriously. Let's just, let's just talk about him. It's it's Sidani Raffaella of the Boston Red Sox. He's been tearing it up lately. Michael, you think this kid's getting the call? Tell me a little about him. Yeah, so we've obviously talked about him on the show before, but it feels like his time's approaching for call-ups, so I did decide to go with him this week. You know, for those who aren't aware, we just passed the limit for rookie eligibility entering next season, so basically teams are going to start promoting prospects because they will remain under 130 plate appearances and 45 days in the majors, so to remain rookie eligible next year. And besides that, September is right around the corner, so rosters should expand at that point. And I mean, it's anyone's guess how much some of these players will play, but I think it mostly depends on the organization. As far as Rafael goes, he's listed with the below average hit tool, average raw power, and plus speed. This feels like deja vu, but I think his hit tool grades wildly inaccurate. I'd like to see him be a bit more selective at the plate to bump his walk percentage up, but he's Never shown the strikeout concerns I equate to a below average hit tool. He's not the biggest guy listed at 5'9", 165, but he's shown the ability to tap into some level of power, particularly in AAA, and and the speed is there. I'd like to see him become a little more efficient on the base paths, but otherwise there's there's a lot to like from a fantasy perspective, particularly if he continues showing growth. His willingness to steal bases carries a lot of weight for me. Like Some fast players don't put up big stolen base totals, but He'll be one of those players that goes for it. As I as I said, playing time is hard to predict down the stretch. Um, but there's there's one aspect of Raphael's game that that could lead to a consistent role, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. And it's his defensive versatility. This is one of the best defenders in the minor leagues. He's capable of playing all three outfield positions and all over the infield besides first base. I mean, he's played mostly center field this year and a handful of games at shortstop, but. He can slot into multiple spots for the Red Sox if they wanted him as like a super utility player. Essentially, we're looking at a defensive wizard capable of playing six different positions, doesn't strike out a ton, is flashing solid power with a willingness to steal bases. From a dynasty perspective, I think there's a lot to like in Rafaela, particularly in leagues that use average. I'd knock him down a bit in OBT, OBP type formats because I think his walk rate will always leave something to be desired, but We're talking about a 22-year-old with plus speed, flashing the most power we've seen from him at the highest level of the minors. I still think he's probably more of a 2024, 2025 target for redraft, but it's it's not difficult to imagine Rafaela being like a mainstay in fantasy lineups for his average runs and steals with some help in home runs and RBIs to, to be considered more than just an empty speed threat. I can see him coming up for his speed and defensive versatility, basically. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a core piece for the Red Sox moving forward. Maybe not a superstar, but like a glue guy that'll be a fan favorite if he hits enough. I think you completely nailed this, uh, Michael. I, I um, Obviously, I'm a big Red Sox fan. I follow their system extremely closely. I, I think what you said about him was exactly right, and that is this is a guy to keep, keep uh, in your mind for the long term. I asked the question to Vinny last time, but I don't think this is a guy, if you're in a redraft league, who should be on your radar, even if he gets the call up. And I am starting to suspect he will. But it, you mentioned it. He's, he is an elite, elite defender and at premium positions. So that is, that's the route I see him um, getting the call up for the Red Sox early. The, the Red Sox, okay, I think they're loaded in the outfield. Maybe people disagree, but they do have a lot of outfielders on their roster. They might, I think they only have one bench player who doesn't play the outfield. 
So, so they're, they're not in need of an outfielder, but the Red Sox have the worst defense in the league. They could really use Rafael's glove. And I, for the longest time, I thought the call up when it would be when rosters expanded, they would add Brandon Walter to the pitching staff as a long relief guy. And then they would add David Hamilton as a speed guy that they could put in late in games to try and wreak some havoc. I think that guy might now be Rafael. You mentioned it. He's willing to run. He's not slow. He's, he's got some speed himself. He's not David Hamilton fast. But I do think that there's a good chance this guy gets the call. Um, I I don't expect him to have any short-term value, but long-term, I'm excited as a Red Sox fan. He's already one of my favorite, Michael. Uh, so you, you, really, you really nailed it there. Um, and hopefully next week, as I just pumped up everything you just said about him, that will encourage you guys to bring more Red Sox prospects on the podcast so we can hear a little more of the Red Sox prospect song. Before I before I conclude the pod, though, any any final thoughts? No, just uh, let's see how Noah Chanuel does tonight, um, and let's see if uh, my take uh, burns me by the next show. I would love that. Yeah, and my final thoughts are: you know, it was great doing this uh, first show with you. I thought, Josh, I thought you did a fantastic job here, much better than I could do for my first show, and you know, really glad to have you. Uh, taking over the the reins from David and looking forward to doing this with you guys each week. Well, I appreciate uh, that, Michael. I, that is, uh, I, I'm not sure I agree from my own perspective, but I appreciate you saying that. And that is more than kind, but uh, ending here on a, on that note and ending on that Red Sox prospect that will conclude this week's edition of the call up. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, be sure to sub- subscribe to the triple play fantasy on YouTube and turn on notifications. So you don't miss an episode. Also be sure to check out the, the podcast feed where you can listen to the triple play fantasy baseball show and the fantasy baseball beat two more uh, two other great baseball shows that we put out here at triple play. Um, and then of course, uh, finally a big thanks to Mike, Michael and Vinny. They can be found on Twitter. Michael can be found at MP Richards, 1981, which I learned today is his birth year. Even though he looks like he's 25, I just don't believe it. I, I'm just going to keep saying, I will never believe it blowing up your spot a little there, Michael, but it is in your Twitter handle. So it's not like I'm saying anything too crazy. And then Vinny, of course, is at down on the farm eight, not one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. That'd be down on the farm eight. And that is not his birth year. He was born, he was born only a little bit before 2008 was Vinny. But for for Michael, for Vinny, and for Mio, you're not getting my Twitter handle because you're not supposed to follow me. We'll see you guys next week um, on the call up.